0: regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed welcome to another edition of bearing arms cam and company my name is cam edwards i'm glad you're with us on the program today what are we going to be talking about you know we're going to be talking about rahimi oral arguments at the supreme court Uh, in fact they uh, just wrapped up as i uh, sat down to do the show was listening the entire time and uh, we're going to read some tea leaves here in a moment. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about this real quick. Biden's America is absolutely crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six timing 5,000 winner, 2022 company of the year, thousands of five star reviews, and they feel people like you and me. Place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. All right. So I thought about how am I going to try to encapsulate almost two hours of oral arguments into a, a roughly half-hour show. Um, so what I'm going to do, I, I, as I was uh, taking my own notes, I'm also following uh, several 2A folks on uh, X.com. So you're going to be uh, seeing Mark uh, W. Smith's thoughts, uh, Costas Morris' thoughts, um, and a couple of other folks, Firearms Policy Coalition. I think I've got a, a tweet or two even from uh, Tom Gresham. Um, again, talking about and responding in real time to uh, the oral arguments here in Rahimi. Um so one of the things that became very clear early on uh, is that uh, this case may not hinge on the due process protections or the lack thereof of uh, stripping somebody of the right to keep their arms in a, uh, a civil uh, restraining order, as opposed to you know a criminal conviction or an adjudication of mental illness. Uh, that that is, I think, a almost a tertiary. Concern, but one of the, the first issues that was addressed okay, is, is the standard. What is the standard that's being used here? The DOJ's briefs had talked about the Second Amendment only applying to law-abiding, responsible citizens. And so that was one of the first things that uh, uh, the justices started to drill down when they were questioning the Solicitor General, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, with a, a question. Uh, so there's no difference, he said, between responsible and dangerous. And the Solicitor General said, basically, no, that that dangerous is the key. So when the court references law-abiding responsible citizens, uh, it's the government's position that there are basically two separate things, right? So you've got the law-abiding issue, and if somebody's not law-abiding, however the government wants to define that, that's one avenue to prohibit them from exercising their, their right to keep and bear arms. But the other... Avenue that you can use to strip somebody of their Second Amendment rights is again that responsible. Are they a responsible citizen? And if you're not responsible, well, according to the DOJ, you don't have any Second Amendment rights. And so again, what is that standard? How do you determine whether or not somebody is responsible? The solicitor general says, well, basically you look to see if they are dangerous. Hmm. Which led to a follow-up question. I think this was also by Justice Kavanaugh. It might have been by Justice Alito um, asking. Okay, so if somebody doesn't store their firearms safely, uh, as uh, defined by the government, would that be a- an example of dangerousness of irresponsibility? And the Solicitor General said, "Yeah, absolutely, and it would be okay." To take somebody's firearms, to strip them of their Second Amendment rights. Again, if they are storing a firearm uh, outside of the bounds of how the uh, federal government or a state government uh, uh, might demand that they do so. Um, again, this is a pretty expansive view of the limitation on the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, law professor uh, Robert Leder uh, at the Antonin School of Law, Antonin Scalia School of Law at uh, George Mason University. Uh, said that the government is shooting for the moon in Rahimi, asking the Supreme Court to allow the disarmament of both non-law-abiding citizens and irresponsible citizens. They further argue that Rahimi only fits within the irresponsible category because he's not convicted. And Leiter said, I think this is a mistake. Yeah, remember, uh, he is facing... Uh, A variety of criminal charges accused of engaging in multiple shootings, as well as aggravated assault in which a a trigger was not pulled. Uh, But I don't believe he's been convicted of any of those cases. Now, one of the things that um, did not come up during the oral arguments was the uh, uh, argument that, you know, there are other avenues by which Mr. Wahimi could have been prohibited from possessing a firearm. Pretrial detention, for example, which is expressly allowed in the uh, Constitution uh, for, again, somebody who is a threat to themselves or the community at large. So, again, you get back to that finding of dangerousness. So, I would argue if somebody is dangerous enough that they can be stripped of their Second Amendment rights and they've been accused of a crime, that would obviously, they, in my mind anyway, that would mean that they are too dangerous to be allowed out on the streets and in public. And that might be a more constitutionally acceptable way uh, to deprive somebody not only, again, of their Second Amendment rights, but uh, of their ability to walk freely among us uh, while they're facing a litany of violent charges. Uh, Costas Morris, who is an attorney with Michelle and Associates out in uh, California, had an early prediction during the uh, uh, government's uh, time at the podium. Uh, early prediction, he says they're going to rule dangerousness as the standard. These questions asked by the judges, uh, the justices, he says, are terrific so far. And then he uh, noted a comment by Chief Justice John Roberts kind of, again, drilling down on that defining of responsibility. He said that's a very broad concept. <laughs> and – uh Justice Morris says, that's right, but uh, you dummies, ruled of the right to carry applies to, quote, law-abiding responsible citizens in Bruin and gave the government an opening. He says, uh, fix that error with this case. Again, this is, and, and it's, Morris is right, I, I don't know uh, <laughs> if I would call the uh, justices uh, in the Bruin majority dummies, but uh, he is right that in both Heller uh, and Bruin, and I believe McDonald as well, Uh, The justices did talk about, you know, law-abiding, responsible citizens. But Justice Amy Coney Barrett actually brought that up in her questioning. Uh, And I believe this was her question to the DOJ. I'm looking at my notes here. Um, And she said that phrase was used to describe the plaintiff's in these cases. The plaintiffs in these cases were law-abiding, responsible citizens. But she suggested that 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 descriptor of the plaintiffs in Heller and the plaintiffs in Bruin was not necessarily meant to describe the scope or the limits of who possesses the right to keep and bear arms. Um, which I thought was an interesting distinction. And I thought it was uh, uh, noteworthy that uh, Justice Barrett uh, pointed this out and made this distinction from the bench during oral arguments. Um, they also did bring up, as I said, the uh, due process protections. Although I think that was a, a bit of a tertiary concern, at least with the secondary issue that came up. Uh, as uh, Mark W. Smith, Four Boxes Diner, <clears throat> excuse me, reported on uh, uh, X, he said so the court uh, moving to due process protections, a court associated with 922 GA. He wants to understand what happens if a person subject to that federal statute, barring them from possessing a firearm, needs a gun for self-defense. The Solicitor General admitted that there's no challenge available in the federal system. There is no recourse before the federal court if you are subject to disarmament under 922 G8. He says this is a very interesting and helpful observation uh, for the Second Amendment, an excellent observation about how sloppy and overbroad this statute really is in the real world. Um, to that end, there was also, I believe, a uh, uh, another point when the public defender who's representing Rahimi uh, brought up that in some cases uh, you can you don't have to be even alleged to have committed uh, domestic violence in order to be subject to a domestic violence restraining order. A Judge, can issue that restraining order. Hey, you know what? Don't abuse anybody. We don't have any uh, inclination, you know, don't have any evidence that you have, but I'm telling you not to in the future. So we're going to issue this restraining order, and you lose your right to keep and bear arms. Um, one of the other uh, observations from uh, Mark Smith, he said, uh, Justice Gorsuch seems to think that this is an important distinction between a facial versus an as-applied challenge, which suggests that the court reverses, maybe, the Fifth Circuit decision on their facial finding and then send this case back down for further fact-finding on a potential as-applied challenge. So that wouldn't, you know, if the court did that, they'd basically be punting on this issue. You would not have uh, a clear resolution as to what is the standard to deprive somebody of their Second Amendment rights. Is it Is it a a finding of dangerousness? And how do you define dangerousness? Is, uh, again, irresponsibility a factor? And how do you define irresponsible? According to the Solicitor General, it's basically up to the legislature. Uh, Whether we're talking about Congress or at the state level, you know, uh, state representatives and state senators, they're the ones who get to decide what dangerous is and what irresponsible is. And they can do so apparently as broadly as they want. Again, no limiting principle here to how that body would define those terms. Now, the government's attorney did suggest that executive branch determinations uh, would be more problematic under the Bruin uh, text history and tradition test that a, a governor or perhaps even a licensing authority, a county sheriff or a county judge Uh, could not define dangerous or responsible or irresponsible uh, all on their own, that, again, there needs to be some sort of vote. But I got to say, I mean, even if that's the government's position, it is still a very open-ended principle because you can define those terms as broadly as you want. Um, DOJ said for the purposes of their argument, uh, they viewed dangerous as basically committed a felony level offense, um, but responsible basically covered uh, you know uh, again a, a a finding of dangerous in a way it was circular logic uh, on the part of the uh, the government here, uh, and the government also argued for a very expansive interpretation of the uh, Bruin test as well when they argued that you can look beyond regulations to justify modern gun laws. Again, this is something that Mark W. Smith pointed out. Uh, The government's attorney said it is not a regulation-only test. Uh, Also, looking at the level of generality of historical analogs, the DOJ wants to destroy the Bruin methodology and wants to justify all modern gun control laws at a very general level. Finally, he says courts are putting dispositive weight on no regulations at the founding, but that's what Bruin literally said. In essence, the DOJ is arguing that an absence of evidence, is evidence in favor of gun control. And that's, that's right. I mean, as bizarre as it sounds, the government's attorney did say to the court, look, just because there's not a, a gun control law, uh, uh, that, that, it, that it's even a remote analog. It doesn't have to be a historic twin, right? The Supreme Court said that in Bruin. But let, let's say that there's nothing that even remotely fits a modern gun control regulation that you can find at the founding or even at the uh, the time of the ratification of the 18th amendment but a, a lot of the talk today was was focused on the founding the DOJ's attorney says that doesn't matter uh the absence of regulation does not mean that particular gun control laws aren't allowed so just because uh the you know founding era might be silent on a particular subject Uh, you can still find gun control laws that are constitutional. Now, Again, that flies in the face of what the Supreme Court said in Bruin. No, the court said you don't have to find an exact match. You don't have to find an identical twin. But you do need to find, and it is up to the state to show, that a particular modern-day regulation fits within the text, tradition, and history of the Second Amendment. And in order to do that, you do need to be able to point to longstanding, widespread traditions. You can't point to an outlier uh, ordinance that was in place for a couple of years in a territory, something that was uh, struck down by a a court the first time it was challenged, right? Nowhere, however, did the court say, and you know what, if you can't find anything, well, we'll view that as uh, favorable to your case. No, quite the opposite, as a matter of fact. Um, the um, the questions for the Solicitor General, for the government's attorney, uh, were really sharp. They're really on point. She didn't have a lot of great answers. I will tell you, I, I, I feel for the public defender, uh, Matthew Wright, who was uh, representing Zaki Rahimi. He did not have an easy job. Um, but I... Yeah, <clears throat> Well, let me give you a couple of a couple of tweets here. Mark W. Smith, who is an attorney himself, said uh, Justice Alito is asking about the form of orders banning people from having guns, speaking a bit to federal law 922G8 uh, versus the state court domestic restraining orders. The court asks the Rahimi attorney whether his client is dangerous since he's been shooting at people. That's what he's been accused of, right? Rahimi's attorney trying to fudge a bit. He's in a tough position on this record, given his client admitted slash conceded uh, to the restraining order, and by the way, did not bring up a due process challenge at that point. Um, the case that had been argued up to now, Zaki Rahimi, is problematic, but it did look to me like Wright got a little flustered. Uh, I should say it sounded to me because I wasn't looking at video, but I was listening to the uh, audio of the oral arguments. It sounded like he got a little tripped up uh, and kind of lost the plot uh in a couple of places um while the attorneys who were uh, you know following this in real time were i, I think very kind uh to write <laughs> some of the some of their followers who i don't think our attorneys were a little more blunt in their criticism doesn't feel like rahimi is losing this to you feels very disjointed in the responses to the questioning rahimi returning is <laughs> the bed uh, the justice is right. The attorney is running from his argument. Uh, he needs to stand firm and put it in the hands of the court to follow Heller and Bruin. And and it did, again, seem at times uh, like the public defender was kind of running away from the argument that uh, uh, he was making. Um, all said, though, I think that if we're going to read any sort of tea leaves, and it's again, it's very difficult and maybe not wise to do that based only on the questions. Um but there were a couple of things that I that emerged. The the liberal wing of the court, I think it was badly obvious. Um they view this as a chance to undo uh Bruin to one degree or another, uh, if they can get uh two of their colleagues from the more conservative wing of the court to sign on. Uh and so there was a lot of attacks uh in and in, in questioning. Um, by uh, 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 the liberal wing of the court, uh, Justice Jackson and Sotomayor and uh, Elena Kagan, uh, about what they saw as flaws in the Bruin test uh, and, and things of that nature. Uh, meanwhile, the conservative wing of the court uh, seemed to me, again, if, and, and, and I hesitate to draw any firm conclusions just based on these questioning. But they did seem to understand that there is an issue with just this open-ended definition of, well, if a judge somewhere says that somebody is dangerous, or if a judge somewhere says someone is irresponsible, uh, that they could lose their Second Amendment rights either temporarily or, as was pointed out, uh, in some jurisdictions permanently uh, based on a civil restraining order. Casas Moros, the attorney with Michelle and Associates, uh, after the argument wrapped up, he said, things got a bit rough for Rahimi's lawyer, but I think in the end it won't change the result. The questioning in the first half reveals the court is leaning towards a dangerousness standard, which is good news for the Second Amendment, but not for Rahimi, since again, he is facing a number of violent crimes for allegedly shooting his gun in a number of locations. um, After, by the way, that uh, restraining order had been. Granted, this was something that uh, his public defender did point out is that, well, the uh, domestic violence restraining order may prohibit somebody from possessing a firearm. It doesn't actually disarm them. Um, it is a piece of paper. It is not a suit of armor that protects the victims of domestic violence. Again, I don't know that that was an argument that Mr. Rahimi would have preferred his attorney to make, but uh, it was one that uh, the right at least acknowledged. So. There are a couple of ways that the court could go here. I don't think we're going to see a hugely expansive ruling, um, although Justice Barrett did actually bring up the uh, Range versus Garland case. This is the uh, case involving Brian Range, the man from Pennsylvania, who uh, was convicted of a nonviolent misdemeanor that was at the time, under Pennsylvania law, punishable by five years in prison, um, lying on his food stamp application. And again, that was a permanent disqualifier. So he, too, has challenged uh, his conviction. The Third Circuit Court of Appeals found that uh, that particular uh, section of 922J was unconstitutional and that his rights should be restored. DOJ has appealed that decision to the Supreme Court, uh, but they basically asked the court to not grant cert in that case, to not take the case until after they decide Rahimi. Uh, Again, hoping for a broad enough decision that it would preclude uh, Mr. Range from regaining his Second Amendment rights because, uh, again, he's irresponsible, right? Because he lied on a food stamp application 30 years ago. That means that he's too irresponsible to own a firearm now. Um, I don't think the court's going to go there. I, I, I don't think that the court is going to adopt that broad a standard. And in fact, I uh, would suspect that the uh, government's argument about um, responsible uh, and law-abiding even, I think, is uh, going to come into some criticism uh, in the Rahimi decision. Uh, as Justice Barrett, again, noted, That was the, those phrases were used as descriptors to describe the plaintiffs, not as descriptors to describe the scope of who are the people who possess the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, and if the government has conceded that those terms could be defined so broadly by legislatures that uh you know the DOJ might say well listen dry uh, doing a 30 and 25 mile an hour zone we wouldn't define that as dangerous but you know what the state legislature in california might the assembly in new york might if it means that they could again prohibit people from lawfully possessing firearms, there are any number of state legislators that might adopt that expansive a view. Um, so if there is a dangerousness standard, I think the court's also going to have to define what amounts to dangerousness. Uh, is it a, a credible accusation of a crime of violence? in other words, are are there current charges uh, that are pending? Uh, is a conviction? of a crime of violence, proof of dangerousness? In that case, I think the answer is obviously going to be yes. Uh, But again, as you get beyond a conviction or an adjudication of mental illness and you start broadening this out, right? Well, what about people who've been accused of a crime but not convicted? What about people who've been subjected to a civil restraining order but not, again, a criminal restraining order? Then those questions become murkier. Uh, And this is where the court might again, issue uh, some fact finding uh, and then kick the case back down to the Fifth Circuit uh, with instructions to uh, review the case based on, um, you know, any additional language that uh, that they bring forward about defining dangerousness. I, I, again, I could be completely wrong about this, but I get the sense that the um, government is going to reject out of hand, that the Supreme Court is going to reject out of hand the uh, government's contention that uh, responsible or irresponsible, as the state legislature uh, chooses to define it, or Congress chooses to define it, would be enough uh, to strip somebody of their Second Amendment rights. I, I I feel, again, it could be completely wrong, but I feel fairly good about predicting uh, that that argument is going to fall flat with a majority of the justices. But yeah, we could get a. I, I think we're I, I think we're likely to get a pretty narrow ruling. Um, again, it could be that the Supreme Court majority says, "You know what? Let's kick this case back down. Um, let's uh, uh, give some instructions to the Fifth Circuit and see what they do with it." Uh, that's a distinct possibility. So, Rahimi could be coming back before the Supreme Court uh, in the next couple of years. The court could uh, again allow the Fifth Circuit to uh, flesh out these issues and then weigh in once more. But I, I if they do that. I I don't think that they would take that step, again, without providing some additional guidance uh, to the appellate courts and to district court judges around the country. And I suspect that that guidance, again, it, I think that there are five votes there with the understanding that um, we are talking about a fundamental right, not a second-class right, not something that can be you know easily stripped away, and that that right – must be respected when determining whether or not somebody meets that dangerousness standard. We're not going to get a decision anytime soon. Uh, In fact, it could be next June before the court issues its decision uh, in uh, U.S. versus Rahimi. But Between now and then, we will have plenty to talk about with uh, the Supreme Court, again, uh, eyeing the range case. They uh, just granted cert to the bump stock ban that was put in place by the ATF during the Trump administration, a Second Amendment-adjacent case called the NRA versus Vulo, which is actually about the First Amendment and whether or not government officials can use their position to basically bully uh, private entities into not doing business with disfavored, disfavored groups like the National Rifle Association, or let's say, uh, you know, an abortion rights group in uh, Mississippi or something like that. Uh, So there's going to be a lot of continued discussion and a lot of court watching going on. And then, of course, we have all of these other cases that are percolating in the appellate courts around the country as well. So a supercharged moment for the right to keep and bear arms in our legal system and uh, hopefully some clarification uh, in favor of our right to keep and bear arms on the horizon. There at the high court. Now, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. I will start there with somebody I, I think, again, most of the audience would say, okay, this person meets the definition of dangerous. A, a repeat offender in Pulaski County, Arkansas has pleaded guilty to a firearm charge. Uh, as it turns out, not this individual's uh, first time. Uh, running into trouble with the law, 40-year-old Crystal Denise DeLeon of Jacksonville, Arkansas, indicted on a a charge of being a felon in possession of a firearm. Uh, Back in March, federal grand jury in Little Rock indicted her. DeLeon, who has a record of felony offenses that dates back to 2004, is uh, currently housed at the Arkansas Department of Corrections Wrightsville Women's Unit following her arrest on the gun charge on September 6th of last year when she was on parole for a 2014 conviction on kidnapping and aggravated assault charges. Yeah. Uh, U.S. District Judge Lee Rodofsky explained to DeLeon that although the statutory maximum sentence for the offense is 15 years in prison because of her previous criminal history, she can be exposed to uh, being sentenced under the Armed Career Criminal Act, which carries a minimum statutory sentence of 15 years and a maximum of life in prison. So where's the recidivism aspect of this? Well, obviously, the current felon possession charge. But what really stuck out to me in this case You go back to 2004, she has a conviction for residential burglary theft of property. 2006, conviction for theft by receiving. Those are nonviolent felonies. 2007, she's convicted for possession of firearms by certain persons as well as theft by receiving. 2007, she's again convicted of residential burglary. So, two convictions in 2007. Again, all for nonviolent offenses. But by 2012, she racks up a conviction for terroristic threatening And then, again, in 2015, uh, she is sentenced to prison after being sentenced to two concurrent 10-year sentences for kidnapping and aggravated assault. That was eight years ago. She was paroled on July 27th, 2021. So she did a little more than half of that 10-year sentence before she was set free. Uh, that, to me, is the problem. You know, we talk a lot about, uh, we, well, we don't actually talk much about it these days, but truth and sentencing laws. I would love to see a return to truth and sentencing where we know, okay, somebody who's uh, you know sentenced to 10 years is actually going to do 10 years. If somebody's really only going to do six years, then sentence them to six years. Uh, but this idea that we're going to get tough on you know violent offenders and then we're going to not get tough on them, and they're going to serve 60% of their sins before they get out, that is an issue. Uh, And it is an issue here with uh, Ms. DeLeon in Arkansas, who, again, I think most people would say at this point, yes, meets that definition of dangerous. You've got uh, a series of nonviolent offenses that probably would not lead to a finding of dangerousness. But once you get into, again, terroristic threats, assault, kidnapping, at that point, yeah, you have probably lost your right. To keep and bear arms. Today's Armed Citizen story from the Los Angeles area, where a, uh, a homeowner pulled a gun on armed intruders as he was just walking up to his front door. Now, what's interesting about this well, first of all, is Los Angeles. And this individual apparently was a concealed carry holder. LA County had very few concealed carry holders, but from what I understand, they've issued about 15,000 concealed carry licenses since the Bruin decision was handed down. And that that I think is actually about a month or two old. So it may be more than that by now. Uh, and it appears that um, uh, this individual who was targeted was, in fact, um, one of those few individuals, you know, in a uh, county of what, uh, almost 10 million people who is licensed to carry a firearm. It's happened Saturday night. The homeowner pulls in, he, he he's got a gate, right? So he pulls his car in, the gate starts to close. He's about to walk through his front door when a guy wearing a mask and carrying a gun comes up behind him. Uh, the homeowner actually like drops his, he had a cup of hot tea apparently in his hand, drops the cup of hot tea, draws his own gun, starts shooting. He uh, spoke to KCAL uh, and KCBS in Los Angeles, wanted to remain anonymous, I understand. Um, he said he had to fight back. He says there were actually two armed men. He said, I, it was completely unsafe. I have a five-month-old baby. I feel unsafe, but I'll take matters into my own hands. I have, and I will continue to do so. Now, according to uh, police, at least one of the would-be intruders fired back at the homeowner before they took off jumping uh, over the front gate and left empty-handed. Um, the homeowner says he called 911 but was uh, unsatisfied with the investigation and requested a detective come back to his home to further look into the matter. Uh, Captain Aaron Ponce with the LAPD uh, told KCBS that he's never seen a, quote, brazen burglary attempt in the area. He says, I haven't seen that since I've been here. I don't recall any such event like that where the suspects came into somebody's yard and approached him in that manner and certainly not in that neighborhood. Well, maybe one of the reasons why they felt empowered to do so is, again, because the odds of running into an armed citizen are pretty low in Los Angeles County. Homeowner actually says uh, this is not the first time that his family's been targeted. He says in June, burglars broke into his home and have yet to be caught. Uh, And he said, I had to take matters into my own hands. He said, to make this clear for anybody else out there, there's nothing in my house worth dying over to come in here and try to get. But I'm willing to die for my family and I'm willing to kill for my family, the homeowner said. You know, in this case, again, this was a justifiable case of self-defense. This guy was attacked as he was getting into his home. I don't think this was a matter of taking matters into his own hands. As unless we want to talk about you know uh, personal safety and security being the matters in question, we don't get assigned a police officer to walk around with us as our personal bodyguard. Unless you know we're an elected official, Um, most of us we are our own security team, right? Again, I don't see that as taking matters into your own hands. I do see it as taking responsibility for your own safety, and I'm glad in this case the homeowner. Apparently went through the steps of obtaining a concealed carry license. Not an easy thing to do, even in a, a post-Bruin environment in uh, Southern California. Uh, and was able to protect himself and his loved ones when he was targeted by uh, armed attackers over the weekend. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, while I'm able to do the right thing. A school resource officer in South Carolina Who was raising funds to help a uh, a student there uh, get a little more mobile? Um, This was in Greenville, South Carolina. School resource officer, who by the way, unnamed, not doing this for uh, any personal attention, um, but I guess has bonded with this uh, student, seventeen-year-old named Christina. She's a, a junior. Um, she's in a uh, self-contained special ed class at Greenville High School. She, um, uh, according to Fox Carolina, has shown great progress in operating a motorized wheelchair. She now has a lot of newfound freedom and independence at school, but her family does not have a wheelchair accessible vehicle. So, once she leaves school, mm, that independence and mobility is really taken away. Um, The Greenville, South Carolina Police Department. So let's come together and make a difference in Christina's life. She's a bright and joyful individual who deserves the chance to thrive, help bring us independence and happiness to Christina and her family. And the SRO actually started a GoFundMe uh, to provide the family with an electric wheelchair loader that can attach to a hitch. So you don't need to get a whole new vehicle, but she can actually take her motorized wheelchair home and use it when she's out in the community with her family. Again, a great cause. Um, and I am happy to report that it was a, a successful endeavor as well. Took a look at the GoFundMe this morning, and uh, it has raised $5,990. They were hoping for 2500 uh, And so they have, uh, again, more than doubled uh, what they were hoping for. Christina is going to get that uh, uh, mobility outside of school hours. And again, it's all because of a school resource officer who saw that need, reached out to the community and the response of so many good Samaritans who uh, want to make sure that uh, Christina keeps that smile on her face. So uh, for everybody there in Greenville, South Carolina, thank you very much for your very good deed. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. I am looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have a guest this time around. I just wasn't sure what time I was going to be able to do the show uh, and I didn't want to have a uh, an attorney hanging around waiting on standby. So we'll uh, get back to our uh, normal cam and company format tomorrow. But uh, until then, be sure to check out VarianArms.com throughout the day. We're keeping you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from across the nation, including every town spinning big in a Northern Virginia school board race for some reason. Yeah. And if you like what you see, maybe not in terms of the news we're reporting on, but at least how we're reporting it, I would encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. All you have to do, go to barrenarms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code gunrights, and you can get a significant savings on your membership. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else because your support matters and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your 2A Tuesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.